Hey again, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed just that time of worshiping, knowing that you were singing those songs with people all around the city today. Now, we've been talking about gospel renewal for the last couple of weeks in our In Durban As It Is In Heaven series. And I'm hoping that there is almost an excitement growing in you to see this realized in our city. Now, as we prepare for our time of fasting and prayer this week, I wanted to speak about the kingdom come this morning. Actually, this, this vision, this idea of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come in our lives and in our city, what it will look like for that to be realized, to give us something of a vision as we pray this week. And I'm hoping you're feeling a little bit impatient, like almost there's a, a desire to see this happen more and more that's growing inside of you. And whenever I think of being impatient, I think of myself in a car on a long road trip. I don't know what you were like growing up, but my mom's family all lived up in Joburg. So often in the holidays, we'd hop in a car early in the morning. I think my parents wanted us to be as tired as possible, so we'd sleep for as long as possible. But we'd hop in the car and start that five or six hour drive up to Joburg. And my parents were equipped, man. They had toys, they had some sweets for us. They played I Spy and cassettes, if you remember what those were, with stories on just to keep us entertained because they knew that dreaded question was coming. Are we there yet? Mum and Dad, are we there yet? Are we nearly there? How much longer? And as soon as that question came, I don't know, an hour, two hours into the trip, I think it probably came again every 20 minutes from there on out as I got more and more impatient and wanted to get out of the car and play and do stuff. And I'm hoping in a way that that kind of impatience would grow in us and lead us to pray and live differently as we desire to see the kingdom of God come in Durban as it is in heaven. Now, I'm hoping that desire is growing in you. But at the same time, I know that this is a really crazy year. 2020 has been absolutely wild. And who knows what the future will look like if there'll ever be a year as wild as this. From COVID-19 to lockdown to load shedding to homeschooling and then schools opening and closing again and the uncertainty around all of that from the strain that this has put on businesses and our economy. I know some of you have been made redundant, some have been retrenched or lost your jobs, some of you have had your salaries cut and on top of that if you follow the news you've read about murder hornets and volcano sharks which just seem like absolutely wild. For those who missed that it's because there's so much going on in 2020 you can go and google that and check it out now. But with all of this going on in our city and in our world I think that question, are we there yet, should be coming out of our mouths because we are anxious to see Jesus return. We are anxious to see his kingdom come, his will be done, this renewal to be realized, for salvation to go out and for Durban to be transformed as it is in heaven. Well, this morning we're going to look at one of the most famous kingdom passages. It's a passage out of Isaiah chapter 9 in the Old Testament. And this was written about 700 years before Jesus was even born but it's speaking about him from back then. Isaiah the prophet is writing and prophesying about the Messiah who would come, Jesus Christ, and the kingdom that he would bring with him. And I think as we look at this passage together, we're going to get a better idea of what the kingdom is all about, what it looks like, and hopefully feel excited to see the kingdom come in our lives and in our city. So let's read together. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, as we read this prophecy about Jesus, we need to remember that he was a real man. He wasn't a myth. He was a man who lived in Israel as a Jew 2,000 years ago for us. And when Jesus was born, he was born into a time where the Jewish people had been going through a really tough time for over 500 years now. You see, on the 16th of March, 597 BC, the nation of Israel had been taken captive by Babylon. The Babylonians had come and overthrown them and taken them into captivity and ruled and reigned over them. And over the next 500 or so years, nation after nation, from the Babylonians to the Persians, from the Persians to the Greeks, and now from the Greeks to the Romans, had ruled over and oppressed the people of God. And they came to God and cried out to him to set them free from the captivity that they were in. But 597 BC wasn't the first time that the Israelites had been taken into captivity. See, the Jewish people had been oppressed by Israel in 1300 BC for about 400 and something years. And back then they had called on God for deliverance and God had raised up Moses as this leader who would lead the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt and into the promised land that God had for them. And there were these incredible miracles that God performed to set them free, kind of climaxing in the Red Sea being parted and the people of God going through and getting to the other side and the sea closing behind them. And in that moment, after they'd witnessed God do this mighty work, the people burst into song. Now, I don't know the tune, so I'm not going to sing it, but let's imagine it was even better than Taylor Swift's new album. Exodus 15:11. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? The Lord reigns forever and ever. And the people of God here, free from slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, are now free to worship God and they are under his kingly rule in his kingdom. And now what we see is that centuries later, as we get to the words of Isaiah and to the life of Jesus, that the people of God long for God to rescue them once again, to do what he's done before for them under their Roman oppressors. They wanted God to move in his mighty kingly power again to set them free. And in the book of Isaiah, God promises that his kingdom is on his way. In fact, Isaiah is one of the longest letters in the Bible. It's 66 chapters, and 40 of those 66 chapters all speak about the kingdom of God that was to come. And if what Isaiah prophesied in his letters is anything to go by, then what God is going to do with this new kingdom is even more impressive than what he did in the past, setting the Israelites free from Egypt. He's doing a new thing, but it's an even greater thing than what he's done before. So they were so excited, they couldn't wait for this freedom. In Isaiah 9 verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And Isaiah prophesies that even though around them is darkness, evil, wickedness, people who don't know will follow God at all, that actually there is a day coming where the light will shine. There's a light rising on the horizon. The the king and his kingdom are coming to bring lightness to or light to push back the darkness and to establish his kingdom in their place. 
And the lad that Isaiah is speaking about is Jesus. He is the king who is bringing his kingdom. And he is coming to rule and reign over all things, bringing renewal into this fallen world and making all things the way that they are in heaven. And we see just this idea of what the king brings again and again in Isaiah chapter 9. In verse 3, we see the king brings joy and provision of prosperity. In verse 4, the king brings freedom from oppression. In verse 5, he brings victory over his enemies. And what I love in that verse, and this isn't just God giving the army victory. This is God fighting the battle for them and handing the victory to them. It's a picture of his grace and kindness. And then in verse 7, the king brings peace, justice, and righteousness. This is a picture of the kind of work that our King Jesus does. This is a result of the light shining in the darkness. This is a picture of what the kingdom looks like. And this is all because of Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And here what Isaiah is saying to us is actually there's coming a moment where history will be divided in two. You know, we've always said BC and AD before Christ and Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. But actually this is saying that the moment that will divide history is Jesus' coming, but it will divide it between before the king and after the king. Or for the Israelites who read this letter and other prophetic letters like it, They thought of the world as these two ages. The first was the present evil age, where things were not the way they should be. But the age that was coming after Jesus, after the Messiah came, was the coming kingdom age, where Messiah would rise up and he would make everything the way it was supposed to be. So let me nerd out with a bit of a graph and break that down for you a little bit more. Here we see the present evil age, where injustice reigns and where darkness is everywhere. But the kingdom age is coming where justice will come and God will break into our world and make things the way they should be and where his light will shine to displace the darkness. In the present evil age, we see very little work of the Spirit, oppression, guilt, sickness, brokenness, distress, and despair. But as the kingdom of God comes, we see the Spirit poured out. We see salvation and forgiveness, healing and wholeness, peace, comfort, and joy. In the present evil age, the nations oppress God's people. But in the kingdom age, the nations chase after Jesus and become God's people. In the present evil age, there is death. But in the kingdom age, actually death is destroyed and is no more. And instead, resurrection life reigns. And in the present evil age, we see a fallen world. But in the kingdom age, we see new creation. And that's what this series is about. In Durban, as it is in heaven, is about this. Seeing the kingdom of God coming in our lives, in our homes, in our city, in these ways. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, Jeremy Treat defines the kingdom of God as God's rule through God's people over God's place. Dr. Anthony Bradley says, The kingdom of God is the reign of God dynamically active in human history through Jesus Christ, over the entire cosmos. And I love that quote because of that word cosmos. You see, that doesn't just mean the earth, that means all things. It includes industry and technology and recreation or your hobbies. It includes the arts and music and education and commerce and politics and so on, which means that all things matter to God. And that as Jesus the Messiah is coming, that his kingdom is coming over all things. And what we see in Isaiah 9 is that as the kingdom of God comes, it brings peace with it. Peace is a product of this kingdom. Now in the Bible, peace is the Hebrew word shalom. 
which means more than just peace or rest or peace of mind. It means more than just an end to a war or uh, no relational fracture. Shalom is the way things ought to be. Shalom can be defined as peace, prosperity, safety, wholeness, health, satisfaction, fulfillment, blessing, and universal flourishing. And the Jewish people actually used to greet one another. They'd say hi and bye by saying shalom. And it was this blessing for the person that it was spoken to, meaning may your life be filled with health, with prosperity, and victory. Tim Keller defines it this way. He says, shalom experienced is a multidimensional, complete well-being, physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, with oneself, and with others. Shalom is perhaps the most basic characteristic of the future kingdom of God, a time when the Lord himself comes to heal all that is wrong with the world. Doesn't that sound like what you most desire right now? I want to say that is the good news of Jesus to us this morning, that as the King comes in our life, His kingdom comes and brings that shalom with it. Now, the Jews who read the book of Isaiah in Jesus' day expected the Messiah to come in a certain way, to end the present evil age and to bring His new kingdom and shalom with it. And they lived agonizingly because they knew this day was coming, but they had to deal with the suffering and hardship and sin and evil and brokenness around them. And they prayed faithfully that God would send Messiah to set them free and to bring his kingdom. And when they pictured this Messiah, they had a very specific picture in mind. This Messiah was a mighty army general who would come either with miraculous power or with military might to set them free from their Roman oppressors and captors and to lead them into a new glorious age for the people of God. Now that's what they expected, but that's not really what they got. You see, in the story of the Messiah coming, first we see John the Baptist arriving on the scene and saying, get ready, Messiah is almost here. And then he arrives, Jesus comes, the light is shining into the darkness. And he says, repent and believe the good news for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here now. And then what Jesus does is he continues to teach about the kingdom and to demonstrate the kingdom, healing the sick, casting out demons, doing the work of the kingdom. And then he dies on the cross for the sins of the world and is put in a tomb and then resurrected and ascends to heaven. And he sends the Holy Spirit to the church to empower them to continue to do the work that Messiah had been doing. And then the church started to share the message that Jesus is the Messiah and that his kingdom has come. And a lot of people had a problem with that. For example, Paul the Apostle, one of the famous leaders in the Bible, before he was a Christian, he was a devoted Jew. He was an incredible Pharisee, this up-and-coming religious leader. And he really took offense at this Jesus movement, the, the way, as it was called. You see, he, he had his mindset steeped in this Old Testament expectation of what the king, the Messiah, would look like and what it would look like when his kingdom came. And the fact that Jesus, the so-called Messiah, had come and had been killed on a cross and now was gone, and actually the Roman Empire hadn't been overthrown, this made no sense to him. You know, the Messiah who was coming would defeat his enemies. He wouldn't be defeated by his enemies. He wouldn't die on a cross for sure. He would reign on a throne. But here in Acts chapter 9, we see something of Paul's encounter with Jesus and how it changes his life forever. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. I think that's quite significant that we see that. 
In Isaiah 9, this light shines into the darkness. And here, that's the first thing Paul sees. A light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but not, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. And then God sends a simple disciple, not one of the apostles, not a super leader in the church, just an ordinary man or woman named Ananias, and sends him to Saul. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And at once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul has made this massive discovery. The Jesus he rejected and was actually persecuting, arresting and even uh, killing followers of Jesus. He realizes that this Jesus all along is the Messiah. So that is a revelation for him. But more than that, he has a revelation of the kingdom of God. Remember, just like the other Jews, Paul expected the kingdom of God to come in a certain way and to end the present evil age and to bring this kingdom age with him. But look what happens to Paul as he encounters Jesus. Firstly, like I said, that light shines. As he encounters Jesus, the light shines into his life. Secondly, he believed that resurrections and an end to death was coming at the end of the age. But now he's met a man who has been raised from the dead, Jesus himself, and he's heard him speak. He's seen him with his own eyes. He's been near with him. He knows that that happens in this world. Thirdly, he believed that the Spirit would be poured out in that new age. But here Ananias, an ordinary disciple, has come up to him and laid hands on him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he's changed. Something happens to him in that moment. And finally, he believed that broken bodies would only be restored at the end of the age. But look, he was blind, but now he's been healed and he can see again. So Paul thinks to himself after this encounter, wow. So many signs that the kingdom of God has come and that Jesus is the Messiah. But at the same time, as all of this is going on, he looks around him to his surroundings, to what's going on in the city that he's in. And he says, but this is not the way it should be. The kingdom won't look like this. There's still sin and evil and brokenness. Things are not the way they should be. And this is the tension of God's kingdom. We live in this tension of the already and the not yet, that the kingdom has come, but it is still coming. And we live in the reality that we've experienced so much of God, but where is he out there in the brokenness in our world? Oscar Coleman suggests an analogy from World War II, which I think helps us to understand this day. History tells us about two really important dates at the end of World War II. The first is D-Day, which happened on June the 6th, 1944. So when the Allied forces landed on that beach in Normandy in France. And that was a defining moment, a turning point in the war. You see, once this landing was completed and they took that beach, Hitler's fate was sealed. The war was essentially over. Yet total victory in Europe took another 11 months. It only occurred on the 7th of May, 1945, when German forces finally surrendered in Berlin. That was VE Day. 
the moment of final victory. So that time between D-Day and VE Day was a time when the war had been won, but was not yet won. Although the, the enemy had been mortally wounded and it was game over for them, they were still putting up a fight and wouldn't immediately succumb. And for Christians, really the cross was D-Day for us. When Christ died on the cross for our sins uh, and was resurrected on the third day, he struck a death blow to sin, to Satan, and to death. And he established the kingdom of God. But that kingdom will only be consummated when Jesus returns again at his second coming. So Christians today live in the tension of this in-between phase where the war has been won, but is not yet won, where the kingdom of God has come, but is not fully come, where the battle still rages, but the war has been won. That is the time that we are living in, Harbour City. And as we drive around Durban, we see so clearly that the battle still rages. You know, things are not the way that they should be. We still see the sin and the brokenness, the crime and corruption, the inequality and the injustice that exists in our city. And when we're honest with ourselves, even inside of us. Yes, we're not living in the fullness of the present evil age, but we're not living in the fullness of the kingdom come yet. But as Isaiah says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. And Jesus is the Messiah extending and advancing his kingdom in our lives and city more and more every single day. His kingdom is not retreating. It is advancing. It is increasing. It is moving forward. And I want you to think about what that means. Yes, there is darkness, evil, injustice, sin, brokenness, and wrong all around us. But everything Isaiah prophesied about the future is already happening. And it's breaking into our world and into our lives. Many of us have experienced a number of these things already in Jesus, our Messiah. And at this time, God's light is coming and it is driving back darkness. God is pouring out his spirit to empower thirsty lives. God is saving and forgiving and delivering people. God is healing the sick and making people whole. God is bringing peace and comfort and joy. God is drawing all nations together into his family inside the church. God is overcoming his enemies and dealing with injustice once and for all. And God is pouring out his resurrection life. New creation life is beginning to spread and grow up even in the midst of a fallen world. And Harbour City, for us, the King and His Kingdom are here. They're amongst us this morning as we gather like this. The future has arrived, the light has dawned, and the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. This morning as we end, and as the music begins to play, why don't you spend a moment just living in that truth, asking God and inviting God to bring the reality of His Kingdom into your life, and this morning, if you, need to, if you need to respond to Jesus as your Messiah and as your King, if you need to be forgiven of your sin, if you want to begin to follow Him, this morning is a great time to do that.